Welcome to room 4216. I'm so glad you've come. Okay, the game is five card stud, nothing wild, any up. This game is exceedingly simple. With only 52 cards, 21 of which I will see, and four other players, there are a limited number of winning combinations. There's more to this than just the cards, Data. Of course. The bets will indicate the relative strength of each hand. Time to pluck a pigeon. Five. I'm in. I two. Mm-hmm. Cool. The seven and the six, ladies. I bet ten. See that? Four. Fold. Yeah, me too. I'm out. I bet five. See it. You're five and five. Too rich for me. No help. I bet ten. You're ten and ten. Is that what is known as a poker face? Are you playing or not? I fold. <laughs> you had nothing. He bluffed you, Data. It makes very little sense to bet when you cannot win. But I did win. I was betting that you wouldn't call. Have you ever played poker, Cecilia? I have, actually. I will not lie. I enjoy it. Did you? Mm-hmm. Ah. Penny any poker. Nothing serious, but still, it was a lot of fun. I've played, <laughs> as a kid, I used to play with my friend, but I, as an adult, I played once. Mm-hmm. I took a dollar fifty-seven up to my friend's apartment, and we sat down for an hour and... And after an hour, I said, well, it's been fun. And they said, why? Where are you going? I said, well, you cleaned me out, so I'm done. And I got up and left. I was not. I, ah, poker. You know, it's really not just a game of chance. There's a lot of skill that goes on in there as well. Mm -hmm. To know what cards are dealt and what cards might be upcoming, whether you should hold or or fake. No, that's not the right word. What is it? Uh, bluff. Bluff or whatever. You know, in some ways, life is a lot of like that too, isn't it? Yes, it is. Got to know when to take calculated risks and when not. Today, we're going to find out as we look at some more apostles, some that dealt with money... Yeah. But some who did calculated risks and won, you might say. Even as uh, last week, if you're following in sequence, someone took a calculated risk and lost. Judas Iscariot. But today, let's go into room 4216 and take a look at some more apostles.
Today's apostle has a reputation. Well, it might surprise you a little bit. We're going to look at a verse or two that show him as thoughtful, loyal, and then courageous. Not usually the reputation he's known for. Our first reading comes from John chapter 11, beginning at verse 14. Here Jesus is talking about a, a friend who had just died, and he lived right by Jerusalem. And he, they all knew if Jesus showed up in Jerusalem, they would be after Jesus to kill him. And Jesus, well, go ahead and read, Cecilia. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us all go, that we may die with him. These words aren't just brash. They're extremely loyal. And again, he's showing his courage that he is willing to go with his Lord. He's also a very thoughtful man, as we find in our next reading from John chapter 14. Jesus, on Monday, Thursday, is speaking to his disciples and relating some things, and in the midst of this, says something that puzzled Thomas. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one other reference which we'll get to in a moment about Thomas, other than his listing among the apostles. We don't really know where he grew up, his heritage, his occupation, not from Scripture. Yeah, the only thing we really know is that Thomas was probably his surname, and uh, he was also called Didymus, which means the twin. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Moving to verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the others said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. 
based on this reading, Thomas is often called Doubting Thomas. Yet, is he really that much of a doubter? I mean, really, the evidence was not there. Here he was for a full week, out and about. Where were the other uh, disciples? Locked up behind doors for fear of the Jews. Thomas wasn't locked up for fear of the Jews. He was moving out and about. He saw his friends who said, He's alive! Hiding. So for him, the evidence wasn't sufficient to take the risk and believe. And so, he chose to not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Hmm. Thomas probably would not have been a good poker player because he wasn't willing to take a risk. He needed the evidence before him. But Jesus wasn't about playing poker either. Uh, And he didn't bluff. He just simply made the statement, stretch out your hand. I'll give you the evidence because that's what you need. And Jesus did so because he knew that if Thomas was given the evidence he, in his rest of his life, would be a marvelous witness. And that's why Jesus called Thomas to be one of his apostles. century, when Portuguese merchants and missionaries arrived in India, they got quite a surprise. You see, there was already a flourishing Christian church there. Hmm. The people gladly told about their founder, St. Thomas. They shared stories that had been given to them by oral tradition, and they shared songs, and they shared some documents. All which pointed to Thomas, Mm -hmm. the one who needed that little bit of evidence, which then propelled him into great motivation to tell others that Jesus is alive. Actually, Thomas hit the ground running right after Pentecost. According to Eusebius, he went to Ostrowine. You remember we spoke about that kingdom when we learned about Jude. And he began to evangelize there, and then Jude came, and Thomas moved on to India. 
In India, he was in the northwest area where Punjab is spoken, and the king was, what was his name, Cecilia? Gundaforas. Gundaforas. And um, he was, um, at first we didn't even think there was such a king, but then uh, last century there were some coins found dating all the way back to the first century, and Gundaforas' name and picture were on it, verifying that he truly was a king. Well, from tradition, um, it says that this king asked Thomas, who was a carpenter by trade, we know. So Eusebius tells us. Yeah, that uh, build me a palace. Well, Thomas used this money and gave it to the poor and helped the poor. And so when the king came back and said, Have you built my palace? Thomas says, Yes. He said, Well, when can we see it? And he said, well, you can't see it now, but you will when you go to the next world. Well, with that, the king was about to uh, torture and kill him. Some things happened that helped him to realize, his things happening, his brother uh, supposedly uh, fell under a very illness and died, but Thomas prayed and the man was brought back to life, so Gundaforus believed. And, according to the legends, did see his beautiful palace, when he then died. Seeing the pending doom of Gunda Forest being overthrown, Thomas left and went to the area of Malabar, uh, in the southwest part of India. There is a story told there that a Brahmin priest was angry at Thomas, and out of the hatred he felt, he killed his own son. Ooh. Now Thomas, with the power of God, brought the boy back to life. Hmm. The boy said, no, it wasn't, it wasn't this holy man who did so. It was my father. Thomas said, where would you rather live, in this world or in the world from which you were summoned? And the boy said, I would rather live in the other world. So he was baptized and died. Some other stories in, that came from tradition of his work there uh, in that southern part of India is that he, in the seven years he was there, from 52 to 59, um, baptized one king, founded seven churches, 40 Jews were baptized, and 3,000 Hindus came to faith. Mm. Thomas moved from that area to the southeastern part of India, where he began his work from years 62 to 69. And during that time, he and his disciples are, according to the tradition, baptized 17,000 people. As if they weren't busy enough with that. 260 exorcisms were done. 250 blind people received their sight. 250 various other illnesses were healed. 230 lepers were healed. 220 paralytics. And 19 people were raised from the dead. Oh, only 19 raised from the dead? Yes. Oh, wow. All that to demonstrate that Jesus is alive, the Savior of the world. 
According to the traditions, Thomas settled in Millipore in the year 69. He did not remain silent nor inactive, but continued ministry from that point, though he didn't do extensive traveling. Interesting to note, he was a very uh, 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 stoic man, having a very simple life. One notable thing is he always wanted the places of worship adorned with a cross. This is astounding because uh, the cross was until Constantine in year 325, who made Christianity the legal Roman uh, religion, it was an implement of death and wasn't used as a symbol of faith. But not Thomas. Thomas saw it as one of faith. One day while Thomas was praying in a cave, some Brahmin priests came upon him, and being afraid that Christianity would eclipse Hinduism, they stabbed him several times. Thomas dragged himself to a nearby chapel, and according to Marco Polo, he grasped a stone cross and said, Lord, I thank you for your mercies. Into your hands I commend my spirit. And he died. I'm very excited about this next segment. When I was a child in 6th or 7th grade, there was an audio Christian magazine, and one part of it was called The Bible in Living Sound. And as I listened to these Bible stories, they were dramatized, they really helped me to come to appreciate the Bible in a much deeper way. And for years, I wanted to find this and was lost completely. And then, lo and behold, we found it again. And so now... We'd like to tell the story of Matthew with the help of the Bible in Living Sound. Do note as you listen to this that some of it comes from the King James Version of the Bible. Has it been worth it, Levi? Really worth it? Well, we're rich. Rich, yes. But we're also outcasts from society. We've violated the religious, social, and national customs of our own people. Why, we're considered apostates, the vilest of the vile. And in a way, they're right. Collecting more taxes than Rome requires, and then keeping it for yourself. Well, if I didn't do it, someone else would. That's no excuse, and you know it, Levi. Why don't you quit? That, my dear, is a good question. The truth is, I... I would quit if I could, but I can't. I'm already branded as a publican. No one, certainly not our religious leaders, would ever accept me again as one of them. Time passed. Levi Matthew became more wealthy, more hated and despised by his own people. Yet he continued to sit at the gate in the tax-collecting booth. Sometimes he would see great multitudes gathered to listen to a man from Nazareth named Jesus. Repent, and thy sins shall be forgiven thee. No man cometh to the Father but through me. I shall make you free. 
Levi Matthew often thought of these matters and began to believe in his heart that Jesus might be the Messiah, the long-looked-for Redeemer. The tax is one goat or the equivalent. Pay my attendant over there. Next. Uh, Yes, yes, sir. State your name and... Wait. Jesus coming through the gate. He's looking straight at me. Coming in this direction, he... He's going to speak to me. Me. Levi Matthew. Yes, Master. Follow me. Yes, Master. Master, I'm a publican, and I understand the minds of publicans. They realize that they're sinners, and many of them long to be forgiven. Such minds, Matthew, are open for truth. I seek a way to help my fellow publicans. With thy permission, Master, I would hold a feast, inviting publicans and those considered of doubtful reputation and those shunned by their more scrupulous neighbors. I would make thee, Master, the honored guest. For this purpose came I into the world. Plan thy feast, Matthew. I shall be there. Boy, howdy, and did Jesus ever hear it from the Pharisees? You eat with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus' answer, though, was so comforting, not only to Matthew, but to any of us. He said to the Pharisees, The healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick. Go learn what this means. Jesus was, the phrase, laying down the gauntlet. I'm here to help people. Sick people, spiritually struggling people. And he could have pointed to Matthew. Matthew knew that his life wasn't great and and that money wasn't everything now that he had it all, but that there was more to it. And that's why he followed Jesus. He took that calculated risk and he, like in a poker game, bet it all. And... uh, He won the whole pot. And not only that, but that's then how he lived his life. A few church fathers which indicate this is how Matthew lived his life, going out of his way to help others. Papias, Eusebius, Irenaeus, Tertullian, and Origen all testify to the fact that Matthew wrote a gospel, the Gospel of Matthew. In this book that we know as Matthew, he uses a almost a formula that the word might be fulfilled. And he quotes Old Testament references. Thirteen times he uses this. Matthew's point in writing the gospel was to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of what the Old Testament looked forward to in the promised Messiah. There are several narrations and stories from tradition about Matthew, both his life, his work, his service, and his death. We're really not sure completely on this because there are some contradictory comments. But one does come through 
steadily as seeming to be true as he was working in Ethiopia. He went there and there were two magicians, Zaros and Arfaxat. And they had quite a hold over the people. They were supposed to have been able to paralyze people, to uh, uh, even kill them. Or make them blind or deaf. Or Yeah. And uh, they were also snake charmers. Well, one day, they threw two huge snakes at Matthew's feet. Well, instead of harming Matthew, the snakes became paralyzed. And Matthew challenged them. Make these snakes obey you now. Well, they couldn't. And Matthew was able to speak to the people. He had the gift of tongues. He was able to speak in their dialect. And he told them about the true Christ. The people at first thought that he was a god, and they tried to sacrifice to him. But he dissuaded them from this, and instead convinced them to build a church, which he called the Church of the Resurrection. He lived for 23 years in Ethiopia. He ordained preachers and baptized, converted, even baptizing the whole royal family. One of the royal family, uh, in succession of the king, wanted to marry a nun at one of the convents that Matthew had set up. But she didn't want to. She was willing and wanting to serve the Lord. So he went to Matthew and tried to persuade Matthew to convince this woman to leave the convent and marry him, and he refused. So this king was so angry, he had one of his soldiers kill Matthew, stabbing him in the back. To whether it was that or some other death, we really aren't sure. Yeah, there's one tradition that says he died under the emperor Domitian, like some of his counterparts, but, and there's, there's one tradition that says he died a natural death. We just don't know. We do know that he lived his life in service, especially to share the gospel to the Jew as well as to those who did not know Jesus. Well, as we conclude this program, what can we conclude about these apostles? Well, I think there's a couple things we can conclude about Thomas and Matthew. First, it wasn't a gamble for them to live their lives for Jesus. They knew Jesus was holding the best hand ever. He held sin, death, and the devil. He wasn't bluffing, but held all the cards. And so it was a sure win. And that's why these two disciples were bold in sharing their faith to the ends of the world as they knew it, India, Ethiopia, willing and gladly to give their lives in service of God because they knew God had won the victory already on Easter morning. We invite you to Respond to these stories or others. As always, you can write us. You can write to us at info. I-N-F-O. At not-alone.net. How do you feel? Do you feel like you have the winning hand? You can be sure that you do. And you can be sure that you're with us.
that all of us are together. For we We are are not not alone. alone. Do come back again to room 4216. Credits. Star Trek The Next Generation. The Measure of a Man. The Bible in Living Sound. The Calling of Levi Matthew. www.bibleinlivingsound.org. Interlude musicians Terry Nord and Robert Vaughn.